lot of these sort of future of work related decisions that companies can make are going to be so divergent and multifaceted, and they're going to become cultural markers of companies. Are you office centric? Is it work from home Fridays or is it this you know two three day hybrid? Can you work anywhere? You know, there's going to be so many different ways of operating, and I think it's going to take us a year or two to really work through that and figure out what works, what doesn't. That was Thumbtack head of people Yelena Georgievich. Now, I really enjoyed this conversation with Yelena, getting into her background, her role as chief of staff, and how that experience translated into her role as head of people at Thumbtack. So we'll be right back with more in that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. Redefining HR, one podcast at a time. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from PIN. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, enabling your employees to automatically receive helpful messages at key moments throughout their journey, from onboarding to promotions and everywhere in between. PIN helps companies battle communication overload and puts your employees in control over when and how they receive information. Go to PINHQ.com for more information. That's P-Y-N-H-Q.com. And reinvent employee communications for the distributed workplace. And now, on to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Redefining HR podcast. I am your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I am really excited to be joined by the head of people for Thumbtack, Yelena Georgievich. We're going to get into her career outside of HR and inside of HR and really dig into some of the programs and initiatives that they're driving at Thumbtack. Uh, when this runs, this will be soon after their most recent round and uh, unicorn status. So congrats again on that. And uh, Yelena, why don't you just start with just a brief uh, introduction for the audience? Yeah. Thank you so much for having me here, Lars. Yes, my name is Yelena. I lead our people team here at Thumbtack. And, you know, my career really started in management consulting at Bain & Company. And I found myself in this amazing role over the last year, um, leading our people efforts here. Um, A little bit of background about myself. Um, While I worked at Bain, I really touched on everything from digital product strategy to operations and change management and org strategy. And then three years ago, I transitioned to Thumbtack uh, as chief of staff. And there, my mandate was really about managing the operating drumbeat of the business um, and thinking about how do we make sure the trains run on time? What train tracks do we need to build for the future? How do we build bridges across the organization? And a common thread across all of those experiences was really a passion for people issues. So whether I had those kind of extra 10% opportunities or sometimes as chief of staff, my full-time job, um, working on people issues ranging from parental leave policy to sponsorship and mentorship programs um, was a really common thread. And so I feel like I've sort of finally found home in this role right now. I think through your chief of staff role, you got a deeper exposure to people problem set that you get to kind of work on when you're in that role. Walk me through the transition from like chief of staff to head of people. What made you say, okay, like I'm ready to take what I've been doing here and now I'm ready to to run the people function? It was a really interesting transition. I think when I was chief of staff, um, one of the core things that I led was strategic planning and business performance management. So it was really partnering with the executive team and with our CEO to set the company vision, the strategy, the OKRs, and then manage execution against that. And while there's so much analytical work and road mapping work that goes into that, a really core part of that is making sure that we have the right people in place, teams are working effectively, that functions are collaborating effectively. Um, And so it became so clear to me how core people issues are to the success of a business and achieving these financial goals and operating OKRs that we have. 
So that really sort of laid the foundation, that intersection of sort of the hard business analytical skills with a lot of the people dynamics. And the transition for me, I think it was really this amazing opportunity to think about how do we think about managing the business from the people side? Some of those questions of, do we have the right talent in place? Are we thinking long-term about how to translate our business strategy into a people strategy? And then day to day, are we operating as well as possible? It's not that uncommon these days to see somebody kind of with a background like yours who is moving into the head of people role from other areas of the business. And the primary reason, because you just, I think, framed so well, is that business acumen that business understanding and grasp of the organization and bringing that into the the people side. And I want to get into some of your people programs because you've got a lot going on right now, but I want to back up for a moment and just focus on that chief of staff role because that's a position that I know you were chief of staff to the CEO. It is a role that we're starting to see more of even in the people team, seeing a chief of staff to the CHRO or chief people officer. You know, it's one of those roles that doesn't have a uniform job description by any means. So like walk me through your experience kind of as a chief of staff and what that role was like for you. There's sort of a a range of responsibilities that chief of staffs um, often have. And at the core of the mandate, it really is about how does the business operate and how effectively are we managing. My core responsibilities were leading strategic planning, doing business performance management, execution management, and internal comms. And then I led all of our leadership forums. So our executive team meetings, our board meetings, and then whatever special projects came up. And really the theme of those were really gnarly cross-functional company level projects or processes where there wasn't a natural owner within the business. And I could come in with that bird's eye view and that cross-functional coordination skill set to help manage that, whether that be a new product launch that it required a lot of coordination between our go-to-market teams and our tech teams or future of work and coming up with that vision and that strategy. I would say one of the things that's, you know, it's not a responsibility kind of on paper as a chief of staff, but one of the really unique elements of the role that I think set me up well is that you're embedded in the executive team and have a front row seat to all those dynamics. And so it's this amazing opportunity to really absorb and understand what does it take to lead a business and learn from those leaders. And then also for me, I kind of leaned into the almost like HR business partner facilitation role in terms of helping the CEO navigate interpersonal dynamics on the team and really helping him coach his leaders, thinking about what do we need to do to strengthen the just the bonds and the effectiveness of the leadership team onboard new members, make sure they're fully integrated. So those team dynamics was something that I got really into um, and was able to sort of lean into given the seat that I had at the table. I want to get into some of those programs um, that you mentioned, but before we do, just for you know, listeners or viewers that might not be familiar with Thumbtack, can you give an overview of the business, kind of what you do, size, um, size of the people team, and then we'll jump into some of the programs. So Thumbtack is uh, the modern home management platform. We are here to connect homeowners with home pros to solve any of their needs, whether that be a pipe that bursts and you need a plumber there today, or whether it's insulating your attic and having folks, which actually we have in my house today right now. Um, So really, if you have any home need, this is the best place to come to go address that need, find a fantastic home professional and solve that. And then in terms of the company, we have about 800 employees distributed across the U.S., Canada, and the Philippines. Um, We originally had three home offices, San Francisco, Salt Lake, and Manila. Uh, We added Toronto when we acquired a business there. Naturally, that has all changed going into a distributed workforce with future work. And our people team is about 60 people right now. 
Cool. Let's get into, uh, you know, you, you, we talk about future of work and kind of this new reality. You know, obviously it's something that all of us in HR people and the people space are navigating right now. And, you know, not just us, like businesses and employees, like pretty much everybody. But for you, you know, you recently announced that you would have a kind of remote first hybrid construct to how you're going to be kind of looking at Thumbtack moving forward. And so you had a great blog post about it. I'll include that in the show notes. Uh, but if you could just give an overview of kind of where you landed. So like, what is your plan moving forward, but also maybe some context into how you got there? Because I think a lot of heads of people and, and CPOs are are still in those conversations. Like many companies have made firm commitments. Many are still kind of working that through. So I think any insight into what that experience was like for you and working with your leadership team and your employees uh, would be great to learn. So we are leaning into virtual first work. We believe that virtual first is here to stay, but we are coupling that with really high quality team and company events, as well as libraries, which is our new concept from um, in terms of what the future of offices will look like. So at Thumbtack, we are solving for three design principles that really colored the model. And I'll talk through kind of how we got there. The three design principles are flexibility, inclusivity, and equity. One thing that we really learned through COVID was how important flexibility was for employees. You know, during the height of COVID, it was giving them flexibility to go move to their support network, to go across the country, whatever they needed to sort of set themselves up for success personally and professionally. And that's something we really wanted to lean into with this virtual first model where employees can live in any of our approved states across the U.S., Ontario, anywhere in the Philippines. Our goal is to eventually expand to all 50 states, all of Canada, or allowing folks to work all over the Philippines. But it really is flexibility at the forefront um, so that your professional choices don't hamper your personal choices. We just don't believe that where you live should dictate what job you can have. But we know that there are challenges to virtual work and limitations of it. There's Zoom fatigue. Human connection is just a really fundamental need and a really fun and core part of work. And that is why, for us, events are really important and something we're leaning into. We're planning on having an annual company event called Camp Thumbtack, where the whole business will gather. We'll do one in North America and one in the Philippines. And then about quarterly, all the different teams will gather. The goal of Camp Thumbtack is really to build that sense of shared identity and purpose and align around a common vision, a common purpose, mission, strategy, and just to get to know people across the whole business and to feel like you're part of a greater whole. And then team events are all about building strong relationships at the team level so that when we go back to virtual work, You've got tight bonds, you can collaborate effectively, and you just love your, your coworkers. We recognize too, though, that people might be sick of working at home. I've got a bed in my office right now. So we <laughs> want to have uh, the option for people who live in one of our home cities to be able to work at an office. So we are rolling out libraries, a new concept. Um, think about your college library where half of it is quiet. You might have corrals, tables where you can't talk, like you're really there to do work. And then half of it might be a little bit more of a party zone. You've got your fun cafe, you're there to bump into friends. Those are the two key things we're solving for with libraries. And notably, I think what's different about our model is that we're not solving for collaboration in libraries. We believe in virtual first collaboration and teamwork. That's the only way to maintain an inclusive experience where everybody is an equal participant in the team's work. And so we don't want to get into a dynamic where some people are in the office and some people are asking, hey, can you turn on the Zoom link? I'm waiting for you. Yeah, look, I think that's going to be the hardest part about hybrid, right, is is like you have to most companies will be 
hybrid and what level of hybrid will range based on kind of their business and priorities and leadership team. But getting hybrid right and getting hybrid right from an equitable standpoint uh, an inclusive standpoint is really hard. You know, you, you have to have that virtual first default in everything you do, or you will be creating different kind of classifications of employees. So I like the idea of libraries as a gathering place. Like, how did you land on the name? Were there other, were there names in consideration or were you all kind of locked into this idea and the vision for a library uh, from the get-go? You know, libraries came up initially because we were really imagining a college library. It was a bit of a filler word and it just stuck. Uh, We've tried different words, but nothing has really embodied this mix of a place to do productive work and to socialize and hang out with friends. There's a little bit of a tacitaries, libraries, tacitaries kind of thread going on, but I'm not sure if that will stick. (laughs) Everybody, you've got to localize the name. Like, I I, I get that. I get the groundswell of saying, how do we how do we make this us? But uh, I do I do like libraries. That's uh, that's interesting. So, you know, one of the things that I was, uh, as I was reading through your blog post of how you were structuring uh, things in a remote space, one of the things that did stand out to me was like, in terms of being virtual first, both within the US and in Canada, there were, you know, certain states and or provinces where people could work, but others that they couldn't. And I'm just curious, how did you land on that? Like, how do you determine what states or provinces were eligible, um, but really more so, which were not eligible? Like, what was the, the background in that? So our vision is to approve all 50 states, all the provinces in Canada, and we have Philippines set up. It's really just, it's work that has to get done. That's sort of how we view it. In terms of where we've uh, landed so far, it was really driven by employee demand. During COVID, employees could apply to work remotely. Well, everybody was working remotely. They could apply to relocate. And so every time that an employee applied to relocate, we would go do the work of setting up a new business entity. There's a lot of work that you have to do with local governments, thinking about taxes and payroll and the like. So it's just going through the motions of setting up business entities in all the different states. So backwards looking in terms of getting to where we are, it was all employee driven, whereas now we'll still have that be a consideration. But looking ahead in terms of how we prioritize and pace opening up in new states, it's really driven by two factors. One is being able to recruit a more diverse employee population. And second is finding talent populations for some of our most critical roles. So in terms of recruiting a diverse employee population, we're looking there about approving states in the greater New York area, greater D.C. area, the southeast, the southwest. So being really deliberate in terms of what the local demographics are so that we can ensure that we are recruiting a really diverse population and have access to talent that we previously didn't. And then when it comes to more of a functional view of it, we look at really critical roles Like for us, certain pockets of engineering are in really high demand. They're hard to recruit in the Bay Area, but there's incredible talent pools surrounding different universities like Caltech or a University of Illinois or Waterloo now um, in Canada. And so we're looking at where are some of these specific functional talent populations across the U.S. that we want to make sure that we're tapping into. Hey, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to take a brief break to share a new initiative that I think you'll find helpful. Redefining HR started with this podcast and evolved into a best-selling book laying a framework for modern HR and people operations. I'm excited to share the next evolution, the Redefining HR Accelerator. The Accelerator is a full platform to build, inspire, and support the next generation of people leaders, including cohort programs, courses, open source resources, and most importantly, community. Thanks to listeners like you, Redefining HR is now broadened into a entire platform focused on building readiness for tomorrow's HR today. 
Learn more at redefininghr.com. And now back to the show. Yeah, I guess to, to kind of follow on your, your comment, because I know that you included this in the blog post as well around, um, you know, one of the drivers in going virtual first is to be able to have access to more representative and inclusive talent. And I know that you're still in the earlier stages here. So, but I'm curious, are you seeing that in, in any of your recent higher data in terms of the uh, diversity representation kind of metrics once you've been hiring kind of under the umbrella of COVID uh, in, in a remote first world versus when people were kind of geolocated in those specific cities? Yeah, we're starting to see it trickle through. We launched this future work model three months ago. So if you think about the recruiting cycle, it often takes, depending on a role, maybe six to eight weeks for the funnel to kind of work its way through. I'd say at a company level, we're starting to see that we're able, we uh, use the Rooney rule. So for every final onsite round for a role above a certain level at the senior manager level and above, we require that we have at least one female candidate and one underrepresented minority on the final at the onsite round. It's been easier for us to sort of follow that rule that we've set out for ourselves now because we can very deliberately source across the country and we prioritize our sourcing efforts toward or proactive sourcing efforts towards diverse candidates. I'm seeing it in one of the roles that I'm hiring for a director of organizational development. I'd have to look at the data, but I think maybe 70 to 80 percent of the candidate pool has been from a diverse background. It's amazing how easily it happens once you have the whole country at your disposal. Yeah, that's great. Well, on that note, you know, uh, you're you're hiring, your team's expanding. Plug your jobs. We have a lot of uh, HR uh, listeners and viewers out there. So uh, what, what are you hiring for right now outside of that OD role? I mean, everything. Um, we are hiring for <laughs> HR business partners. We're building out our ops team. We need an HRS specialist, ops generalist. Uh, we're hiring for a leader of organizational development um, of employee experience. This employee experience is really tasked with bringing our future work vision to life. Kind of recruiters, sourcers, RCs, we're always hiring. It's just, it runs the full gamut. We're really excited about uh, building the team right now. We're at such a exciting moment as a company in terms of growth, maturing as a business, future of work, and all of those trends hit the people team. So we're really trying to take a long-term view in terms of making sure that we have all the functional capabilities represented to take us through the next two, three, four years. Yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, that, well, I don't need to tell you this, the the market for HR right now is just insane. So so you have one more option at the many of options at your disposal. If you're uh, watching or viewing, uh, check Thumbtack out. They've got a lot going on there on the HR side. Let's kind of shift a bit from the the virtual first structure and talk a little bit about mental health and and wellness, because I know that's another topic that's important to you and you've driven some of the initiatives at Thumbtack around. One which I found really interesting was um, creating a summer uh, week off, basically. You, You nailed one of the challenges, I think, that a lot of organizations have when they have flex work or different, you know, extra day off or something where they're not synced. I may be off, but none of my colleagues are. So they're hitting me up on Slack. So I think you're, you're addressing that by saying, no, everybody's off. We're going to shut down. And so walk me through, I believe your first one, uh, by the time this airs, uh, what will have just happened, um, you know, recently. So what went into designing that? And I know that a lot of HR leaders are trying to advocate for creating space for their employees to be able to have more of a real break. So wa- walk me through maybe what the program is, but also kind of how it came to be. So if there's any key kind of nuggets in how you and the executive team, you know, pitched it and kind of moved it through the approval process. Um, I'm sure that'll be helpful for them to, uh, to learn. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of the historical background because we really learned from last year to inform this and this week-long company shutdown that we're doing around 4th of July. So last year um, during the summer where I think people were 
really struggling with how do they balance all their personal responsibilities as you know, schools were shut down just and just the stress of COVID, we built out um, summer Friday. So every other Friday, we would have a three-day weekend. We would tack on a day to other three-day weekends and really um, had that sort of principle of the whole company is going to shut down. So we're not coming back to a huge list of emails and Slack messages. And we really learned that lesson of how important it is for everybody to take off collective uh, leave. Fast forward to the spring in our, um, we do monthly pulse checks, biannual engagement surveys. We do quarterly attrition and exit analysis. We have a lot of opportunities to pulse the organization and make sure that we're understanding all the trends and burnout kept on coming up. I think it's no surprise to anybody as a society, it is a huge problem, but we're, we're really feeling it. And we felt like we had an obligation to do something for our employees. And it was also just part of the ethos of Thumbtack where we really care about employees. We care about you being able to bring your whole self to work. We care about really progressive perks like parental leave, mental health benefits. Um, so the problem was clear and the intention to do something about it was not even questioned as a leadership team. Like we could feel it with our teams. We could see it in the data and we knew the national conversation that was happening. It's just such a multifaceted problem. And each person's sort of experience is so different. Some people might experience burnout because they can't prioritize effectively. Some might experience it because they don't have a support network at home. So we really addressed it from many directions with the week-long shutdown being just one of several. We double down on our modern health and EAP benefits. We're bringing them in to do sessions with our managers. We expanded our perks offering. So we used to be able to use a budget to be able to do L&D kind of trainings to pay for childcare. We added wellness to that as well. And then we decided to do this week-long shutdown. And it wasn't even a matter of pitching the executive team. It was honestly a matter of just coordinating and aligning because there's a lot of operational things that we had to sort out. So the timing of it is right around when we're doing Q3 planning. So we had to work with our FP&A team and a lot of the OKR owners to make sure that we could land Q3 planning. It's right before our board meeting. So we had to make sure that all the teams that flow into our board meetings could get their work done well and with our ops team. So anybody who's on the phones with our pros and customers, we wanted to make sure that we had a plan for all of them. So it's just getting all of the different stakeholders aligned to make sure that the work could go on, whether it was through creative staffing or through moving work to other weeks. And once we uh, landed that, honestly, these logistical and operational issues, it was good to go. That's interesting. I mean, do you, uh, as you're, and obviously you're getting lots of employee data, um, do, you, do you see any push for uh, or potential for a four-day work week and experimenting with that in the future? Like I've seen that happen on small scales and I'm kind of curious like when we're going to start seeing that in some larger organizations. So just, just wondering if that has kind of entered the conversation at all. It's entering the conversation. I'm really curious to see how it plays out over the next six to 12 months. I really believe in identifying what's the core problem that we're solving, getting to the root cause and making sure that the solution addresses that. And I think we're at an interesting time where we're starting to get into this recovery mode post-COVID. And so um, there's certain solutions that are really appropriate for that. To me, the four-day work week really should be about addressing the construct of how we approach work in corporate America and, and globally. And so that's where I'm hesitant to push the, you know, make a decision about it yet. I really want to see what problem is that actually solving. What we are doing that is a little bit similar is rolling out common working norms and collaborative hours. So for us, two big pieces of feedback that we heard from employees 
is one being bi-coastal now with a, lots of employees on the East Coast as well as the Manila. Um, managing time zones is really challenging for people. And we have a really meeting-rich culture. A lot happens in meetings. And so folks were working late, working early, really trying to find times to connect. And then the other piece of feedback that we heard from employees is that because we have a lot of meetings, it's hard to find heads down working time where you can just crank for four hours. And so what we rolled out recently was common working hours. So we are we have meetings only from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Pacific and a no meeting Wednesday. It's off limits. You can do interviews or external meetings, but no internal team meetings can happen then. So people have the time and space to think and do the really important deep work that they need time for. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I think, uh, I mean, we're, we're kind of in this, you mentioned kind of some of the work constructs of how we've always done things. I mean, to me, what the most fascinating thing about this time is that we, we have a real opportunity to kind of rewrite that, right? The, we, we've carried with us these industrial era norms of, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five and work happens in an office. And now none of that is true for many roles. Obviously there's some roles that, that this doesn't apply to, but when, when you think about, you know, obviously in your role, you think a lot about designing kind of future of work, strategies and structures like what gets you most excited you know when you were kind of moving into this new frontier and you know we're, we're in the early stages of moving to it so let's we'll push out to maybe you know summer 2022 well, what do you think might be kind of a more of a norm practice for modern organizations then that's not now i really think to me we're going to go through a period of experimentation. I think that is actually going to be the hallmark of the next year or two. I think there's almost this temptation within the HR world and really within corporate America to sort of nail the one model. Like what model is going to be most successful? How is hybrid going to work? And I think the reality is that a lot of these sort of future of work related decisions that companies can make are going to be so divergent and multifaceted, and they're going to become cultural markers of companies. Are you office centric? Is it work from home Fridays or is it this you know two three day hybrid? Can you work anywhere? You know, there's going to be so many different ways of operating, and I think it's going to take us a year or two to really work through that and figure out what works, what doesn't. What I think will end up happening to the HR field in light of all this is or what I, I hope happens is just very on um, innovation mindset and kind of an experimentation mindset, the way that I think product development teams work. If you think about user research teams, they employ really innovative ethnographic practices to understand what customers need or engineering teams. They really you know think logically from start to finish about what are the specs of building a product. And I think that that mindset, that sort of experimentation and innovation mindset will be a marker of how I think the best HR teams uh, lead. So it's more of a change of how HR works and the role that they play in companies than a specific outcome that I think will be the result of all of this. I do a lot of kind of examining between like legacy HR and modern HR. And I think we're starting to see this shift now through the, all the things you mentioned is like, you know, we started as more of a risk aversion compliance oriented function. And now we're moving towards an experimentative, innovative risk taking function. Uh, and I'm here for it. Like I'm excited to see exactly what we build and how we build and, and what we learn from it. I appreciate you walking us through kind of your your role, your scopes and the projects that you're working on at Thumbtack. Um, I want to wrap up with the lightning round just to help the uh, listeners and viewers get to know you a little bit more. So try to keep your answers to about a sentence ish. And uh, if you're ready, let's dig in. Let's do it. All right. Spotify. I'm a music nerd. So I'm, I'm, I'm creeping your Spotify playlist. Who, who will I learn are your top three artists? Oh, yeah. Taylor Swift is at the top. 
Or she really was prolific during the pandemic. <laughs> I admire her work and her, her grit during the last year and a half. Um, Hozier is up there too. And the Hamilton soundtrack. Uh, when you need a good pick me up, just put that on. I, I think you were not the first Hamilton uh, uh, soundtrack mentioner on, on the show. So yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it's fantastic. It's, it's flawless and it's timeless. So uh, least favorite HR buzzword. Activation. I really don't know what it means to activate employees. And I don't think employees know what it means, nor do I think that they would like being told that they were being activated. Yeah, or, uh, or certainly deactivated. Like, wait, wait, what? what? Exactly. Um, what is your favorite HR function? I know, it's always, I know that I put heads of people and CPOs in a spot when I ask this. Uh, but I don't I'm choose your favorite child, curious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah your, favorite, your favorite function. Like, what do you, when you, when you yourself are kind of getting into the work, what, what areas tend to draw you in uh, the most? They're all so fascinating, which I, I know I don't want to cop out on the answer. I think for me, compensation has been really fascinating because it's this amazing intersection between EQ, IQ, analytics, people skills. But I think it really is the representation of so many of our values and principles. So where do we believe we are in the market? Where do we want to be? What kind of people do we want to attract? Who do we want to reward? What do we believe about you know performance distributions? It just it forces you to be really crisp about your philosophies and values and then put out a comp program and, and quantify it. Um, so I think that has been a fantastic area to really go deep on. And I think it's also an area that there will be a lot of innovation on given future of work and the increasing war for talent. Uh, yeah. And this like mountain of turnover that we're about to see. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. retention is going to be the biggest challenge uh, for this year, like to me, hands down. So I think uh, we're going to have to get creative with comp and every aspect of the employee experience if we want to have a shot of holding on to some of that talent. So uh, if you were to be doing something outside of HR, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put chief of staff role in there as well. Can't do that. Can't do those two things. You have to do something new. Uh, what would it be? Uh, I'd be a travel planner. I would be kind of a travel agent for groups of 10 to 20 people who want to go to the craziest places in the world. That is what I do in my free time with my friends. So I think that would be my second career, maybe post-retirement. All right. Well, now that we're beginning to slowly travel again, I may hit you up for, hit you up for some travel advice because uh, uh, we're certainly uh, itching to get back out there. So um, last question for you, Yelena. Uh, what is, if you had to pick one HR leader who you admire, who would that be and why? Yeah, I really admire Christy Friedrichs from uh, New Relic. She's a chief people officer there and had a similar career to me where she started out in management consulting and then led the people function there. Um, she's been a fantastic mentor of mine, but she she's kind of no BS, straight shooter, super practical, very knowledgeable and just shares. She's a share of knowledge and information and really responsive. So I think she, to me, she is really emblematic of HR leaders helping each other and helping bring up talent. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that, and that is, that's the single biggest catalyst of change uh, in the field. Like our, our evolution from black box to open source is transformative. And that, uh, that is the way as the, uh, the man Lordy would say. So, uh, Elena, I really appreciate you making time to come on the show to help me and listeners uh, get to know more about your background and your role and, uh, keep sharing. Thanks so much for uh, putting the work you're doing out there so we can all learn from it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning into this episode of redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.